Good morning. I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet. My name is Shane Cola. I'm the pastor of the Church on Seven Hills, your church plant. And so it's a joy to be with you today. I want to uh, thank our worship team from our church. I apologize. Kids, come on up and get your, uh, your activity sheets. You're on top of it. I'm impressed. I want to thank our, our worship team from Church on Seven Hills. Um, I want to thank them for spending the extra time this morning. If I did a pool triple duty, I'm going to bring people with me and make them do it too. So I want to thank you guys for, for doing that. They do a great job at our church and uh, sacrifice a lot. And so I want to thank them. Before I begin in God's Word this, uh, this morning, I want to just give you a quick update. Um, we've been launched for a little over a year now. We've been meeting exclusively on Sunday evenings. It was hard to find the right location for the money we had in the beginning, which was nothing, and so, you know, very, very little. And so um, we've been meeting on Sunday nights. God's blessed it, but Sunday nights are very difficult. And so we've been praying for God to provide an opportunity for us to worship on Sunday mornings. A couple months ago, I told you that we had a, a prospect, um, uh, a good lead on a new location. And by God's grace, we will be moving next Sunday morning will be our first Sunday worship service on Sunday morning. So thank you. Appreciate that. We're moving to Zion Lutheran Church on uh, 41 Whitmarsh Street. They have, a cheap, uh, they have a very large church building that they're giving us access to a second half of the building where we can do our own thing Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. worship. Um, if you're tired of Hope Chapel, come join us at 11 o'clock. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't tell Neil I said that. I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, 11 o'clock worship service. I'm getting myself in trouble. But thank you so much for your prayers. You guys have been awesome. We feel your prayers. We thank you for your support, both prayerfully and even financially as a church. Um, our celebrations are yours, and so we thank you. Before I begin in God's word today, would you join me in a word of prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, we thank you that we can open it and we can hear from you every time that we do. Lord, we ask that you would be gracious in revealing your truth to us, Lord, that we might hear it, believe it, and by your grace obey it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, it's a very simple thing, but I'm fascinated by the fact that our, our, our same hot sun that burns, I believe, 93 million miles away. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. 93 million miles away. It both hardens clay and softens wax. You know, two similar materials, not identical, but they're similar. Two similar materials being hit by the same hot sun, they react not just differently, but in absolute opposite ways. And you know, as I began to think about these two very opposite responses to light, I began to think about, you know what? The same thing is true about the light of Christ. You know, Christ shines his light into a dark world, And yet you have people who have not just different responses to his light, but opposite responses. Many blind now see because of the light of Christ. But those who think that they see apart from Christ, they think that they're doing just fine apart from Christ and reject him, they only become more blind. Christ shines his light. Some get spiritual sight for the first time, and others only become more blind. You know, I believe within my understanding of God's word that God is sovereign over all things, even our salvation. 
and that even faith is a gift from God, but you have people like you and I who are eternally responsible for their own sin and eternally responsible for their own decision of whether they are going to follow Christ or not. All of that is the same for all of us, and yet you have two opposite responses within people to the light of Christ, to the offer of salvation. And so this morning, with that in mind, I want to look at How will you respond to the light of Christ? The light of Christ shines in the midst of darkness. How will you respond to it? And so with that, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9, verses 13 through 41. I know it's a lot of verses. We're going to read them all because they're rich with with God's truth. As you're turning there, this is the second half of the story of Jesus healing the man born blind. This is just after the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Jesus had just ticked off a lot of people in there teaching truth about himself. And uh, Jesus walks outside of the celebration. He sees a blind man. And through his conversation with this blind man, he, he actually, you might remember, he spits on the ground. He gets some clay, puts it on the man's eyes, asks him to go wash, and the man for the first time sees And it's right after this miracle that we pick up the narrative because Jesus had just done this on the Sabbath. And uh, it made the Pharisees pretty upset. And so we're going to pick up in verse 13 and go all the way through verse 41. So put your running shoes on with me as we work through these verses. Beginning in verse 13, it says that they, this being the man's neighbors, brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the bud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees says, this man is not from God, this being Jesus. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the man, What do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, Is this your son who you say was born born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but... How he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. For his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And so, out of fear, they threw their son under the bus. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind, and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, Then I have told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be his disciples? And they reviled him again, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone who is a worshiper of um, if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. They excommunicated him from the gathering. Jesus heard they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see or think that they see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Thanks for sticking with me through those many verses. Today, as we work through this narrative, I want to show you two opposing responses with all their various characteristics and traits. As we look at how will you respond to the miraculous light of Christ? Number one, when Jesus shines his light into darkness, some will self-righteously reject him. I know that's a strong statement, but it's true. Some, in their pride and their self-righteousness, trusting in themselves, will reject Jesus. You can take that to the bank. You know, what should have been an occasion for celebration, right? I mean, for the first time in human history, a man born blind had been instantly healed. It was a miracle. What should have been a time of celebration, what should have been a time to recognize Jesus as the Christ, what should have been a time to worship him as Lord and Savior and bow before him, instead turned into an evil interrogation of this man. And so they begin to interrogate him. And with that, the man's neighbors bring This man to the Pharisees, they begin to interrogate him, and it's here that I'd like to show you two traits, two characteristics, two traits, and one tragedy of rejecting Christ. First off, the self-righteous focus only on religious formalities. A lot of times, those who reject Christ, those who are religious like the Pharisees but reject Christ, do so because they are clinging only to religious formalities. They were so caught up in what ended up being their misunderstanding about the law as passed down through man-made traditions. Their misunderstanding, even though this healing was an obvious fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, what you see is these people were so caught up in their misunderstanding of the rituals of the Sabbath that they actually ended up missing the very Lord of the Sabbath. They were so caught up in religion that they missed a relationship, an eternal relationship with the very God that their religion claimed to be seeking. 
Friends, the same is true for us. We can get so caught up in the do's and don'ts. We can get so caught up in rigid law-keeping that we do it all on our own. We do it all apart from God's grace, all apart from his salvation. We think that we are okay, and we end up missing salvation in Christ. You can be religious and not have a relationship with Christ. And the Bible says that is not good enough. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. There is nothing we can do to please God apart from Christ, but for many of us, we try and we try, we try and we miss salvation with Christ. Cling to Christ, not religious formality. These people were convinced that they did not need God's grace, that they can earn their salvation in heaven apart from Christ. And like them, if we think that, we will fail. We will fall short miserably. The Pharisees repeatedly peppered this man with questions to which he simply explains, this is what Jesus did. He put mud on my eyes. He told me to wash, and now I see. That's all I know. That's all the man knew at this point. Well, that wasn't good enough for the Pharisees, and so they called in his parents. And they asked him about their son, and basically they said, he's our son. We know that he sees now, but that's it. In fact, he's of age. We're kind of washing our hands of this. We don't want to get in any trouble. You take him in the dark room and ask him what you want. Do with him as you may. He's of age. Just don't do anything to us. Instead of celebrating with their son, thanking God for healing their son, celebrating with him, using that as an opportunity to proclaim the goodness and the mercy and the mer- And the miracles of Christ, they throw their son under the bus out of fear. They reject Christ out of fear. We can do the same thing. Don't ever let fear be your guide. If you do, you will never surrender to Christ. Because to do so is to make some people upset. It might be to lose a friend. It might be to, it might cost you in some way. If you let fear be your guide, you will not come to Christ. And as a believer, you certainly will not be obedient to his word. You won't testify about Christ. You won't share your faith. And you won't obey him when times get tough if you let fear be your guide. Let the Holy Spirit and the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of God, and His power alone be your guide. Let God's Word, as inspired by God, as illuminated by the Holy Spirit, let it be your guide. Don't ever let fear. My preaching mentor in seminary, I think, summed up this idea perfectly. Dr. Danny Aiken, when he said this, Fear is a paralyzing foe. It can cause us to be silent when we know we should speak. It can cause us to lie about what we know to be true. It can cause us to turn our backs on those we love. It can even lead us to deny the light we see with our eyes, know with our mind, and feel in our heart. Fear robbed these parents of the joy of their own son's miraculous healing. And listen, it can rob you of the precious gift of Jesus and salvation as well. It can't rob you if you are a believer. 
But fear can keep you from Christ, and as a believer, it can keep you from obedience. Trust Christ and Christ alone. Let the power of the Holy Spirit alone be your guide. Self-righteousness and fear had kept both the Pharisees and the parents from Christ. They were roadblocks keeping these people from Christ. Are there any roadblocks in our life keeping us from Christ? Is our own strength and our own desire to do good on our own keeping us from Christ? Is fear of upsetting friends and family simply because we want to proclaim Christ, is that a roadblock? What are the roadblocks in your life keeping you from following Christ? Either keeping you from salvation or keeping you from a life of obedience walking in the Holy Spirit of God. What are those roadblocks? Identify them and get rid of them so that we can know, understand, and obey Christ. Secondly, the self-righteous refuse to listen to truth. Those who reject Christ often refuse to listen to truth. After the healed man lays out what actually turns out to be a flawless argument for Christ. It's amazing. An uneducated man who recently was healed lays out this wonderful apologetic for Christ. And the Pharisees, the very teachers of the law, the so-called theological experts, they can't refute it. And so since they can't refute the argument, they do exactly what you will find some may do to you when you share the gospel and lay out an argument for Christ. Since they can't refute the argument, they will attack you. They will try to make you fearful. They might try to intimidate you, just like the man. They said, you were born in utter sin. You're a dirty, rotten sinner, unlike us, who are spiritually pure because of our law-keeping. And would you teach us? I mean, we're the experts. You don't know anything. Be quiet and listen to us. Who do you think you are? They refuse to listen. Understand this, this response is rampant. If you testify to Christ, if you share Christ, if you make a biblical argument for Christ, you might be attacked for it because it cannot be attacked on merit. We need to be willing to stand for Christ. Instead of being willing to evaluate the facts and to evaluate Christ based on a based on his word and his miraculous works. The problem with the Pharisees is that they had their minds so made up about who they thought the Christ would be when he comes. They had their minds so made up because of their own religious ways that even the soundest of arguments, even clear biblical truth could not sway them. Now think about this. Are we like this? Do even the soundest of biblical arguments, even when people show you something clearly found in God's word, do you reject it simply because you are so married to a, a, a religious system, even a theological system? You're so married to something that you were taught years ago that you want to be true now, 
even when it runs counter to God's word? We need to be teachable. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit of God alone as he teaches us God's word. And if there is something that we come across in God's word, or if we hear God's truth as found in God's word, and it doesn't jive with what makes us comfortable, we need to throw our comfort to the wind so that we become biblical. There's a lot of things that we can hold to. And we do so because we simply don't want to humble ourselves and learn. And it can be damaging to our walk. It can be damaging to our faith. In fact, some of us might even miss Christ in eternity with him because we are so married to a certain mindset. Even when we are clearly shown that it is not in accordance with Scripture. Be teachable. You know, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. The more I study God's word, the more degrees I got, the more I realize God is still teaching me. I started to realize what I don't know. And I started to realize I don't care if someone is not as educated as me. If they are speaking God's truth and I can find it in God's word, I will get the truth of God from anyone, anytime, in any place. Be teachable. God may use somebody who might not be as academically smart or even as biblically smart to speak truth to you. If it jives with God's word, listen, learn, and obey. And then finally, finally for this point, the self-righteous cannot see their own sin and therefore remain in darkness. This is the tragedy. Those who reject Christ cannot see their own sin. And without seeing their own sin, they eternally remain in darkness without Christ. This is the tragedy of rejection. This was the tragedy for the Pharisees. You know, Jesus said in John 3.17, I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save it, right? Jesus didn't need to condemn us because we already condemned ourselves because of our sin. Jesus in his grace came to die so that we might have life. But he cannot help but condemn those who reject. Meaning, those who reject him stand condemned before God still. They don't get the salvation of Christ. And so they stand in condemnation. Their guilt remains. It's a tragedy. And Jesus is telling us in verse 39 that if you know that you are spiritually blind apart from Christ, and you come to him in repentance and faith, salvation is available through Christ. You humble yourself. As God leads you to himself, you humble himself. You repent of your spiritual blindness and of your sin. Salvation is available in Christ every single time for every single person who recognizes their sin, repents and believes, but for those who think they see apart from Christ and reject him, there, there is no hope. And your guilt before God remains. Though Christ came and died and offers salvation, your guilt remains. It has no application to you apart 
from repentance and faith in Christ. Now, verse 41 can be a little confusing, so let me paraphrase for us. Jesus is saying this. If you would only admit your blindness, he's saying this to the Pharisees who were evidently eavesdropping, wondering if Jesus is saying that that they are actually the spiritually blind. Jesus says, if you would only admit your blindness, you would not be guilty of sin because I could forgive it. If you would admit your blindness, recognize your blindness, come to me and me alone, then I can forgive and I will forgive eternally. But but because you claim your own self-righteousness, you refuse me, your guilt remains. Friends, I know many of you, like me, have been in church for years. But I want to ask you in humility to, to examine yourself. What are you trusting in? Do you say you know Christ? Do you say you love Christ, but you trust in everything but Christ to please God? Are you saying one thing with your mouth, but with your life, with your heart and your mind, you really aren't trusting Christ. You're trusting yourself. You're trusting something that I can do to please God, something I can do to save myself. I can do this thing on my own. The Bible says, Jesus says, if that is what you are doing, your guilt remains. You can do all these so-called wonderful things and miss Christ. You can be a good person, do a lot of great things, and miss salvation with Christ. Examine your heart. Where are you at? Without Christ, we stand guilty before God, period. There's no out. No other way to God but through grace alone and faith alone in Jesus. Now, enough with the bad news, okay? I talked about all this bad stuff, all these bad responses. Let's get to some good news. When Jesus shines his light in the darkness, some, number two, will humbly be drawn by his grace. Amen? Anybody experience that? Praise the Lord. Some will be humbly drawn by his grace. This is evidenced by the man born blind who was healed. I don't believe that he trusted Christ at his healing. I don't believe he trusted Christ actually up until his conversation at the end with with Jesus in verse 35. But Jesus is drawing him step by step to himself. He's understanding a little bit more as God reveals it and eventually trusts Christ. Some will be humbly drawn by a saving grace. And it's characterized by this, two things. First off, very simply, they testify about Jesus. Those who are humbly drawn by God's saving grace testify, are not afraid to testify about Christ. While the spiritual leaders are peppering the healed man with questions, there is sort of a schism that breaks out amongst the Pharisees concerning just how to label Jesus. Some are saying he's a sinner, he's of, uh, he's of Satan. Others are saying, this guy's doing some pretty cool things that I don't know somebody from Satan, somebody who's just a sinner uh, would be able to do. And so there's kind of, a, kind of a controversy that breaks out. So they turn to the, to the man who had been healed, and they ask him what he thinks. And he's not, uh, he's not going with this whole Jesus is a sinner thing. He thinks uh, quite 
a bit highly of Jesus. He doesn't fully understand Christ yet. He hasn't come to faith yet, but God is working on his heart. And they ask him, what do you think about Jesus? And, they, and the man says, he's a prophet. Right? He doesn't fully understand yet. He doesn't fully understand that Jesus is the Messiah. But he's probably assigning to Jesus what he believes is the highest office he can think of in his, in his mind. You know, he's like that guy Isaiah in the Old Testament. He's like um, Elijah who called down fire from heaven and prophesied about God. He doesn't fully understand this yet, but he knows that Jesus is sent from God. And then in, in verse 25, or I'm sorry, verse 24, the Pharisees begin the second interrogation by saying, we know that this man is a sinner. They say, glorify God, we know this man is a sinner. What they're basically saying is, we as the Pharisees know this man is a sinner. You want to glorify God? You want to please God? You better agree with us. It's spiritual abuse. They're saying, you better believe that this man is a sinner if you want to have any hope of glorifying God. Now, I love verse 25. One of my favorite verses in all scriptures. It's incredibly simple. But in a spiritual sense, now he's speaking in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, this is your testimony. All right, so listen to what he says. He says, one thing I know, verse 25. All right, the man is willing to leave the, the characterization of Jesus up to the so-called theological experts, who actually were not experts, the Pharisees. He says, one thing I know, I know this for sure, though I was blind, now I see. You know, he's... He's saying, basically, I don't know much. I'm a pretty uneducated guy, but this thing I do know. Just by way of illustration, how many of you have seen the movie Forrest Gump? Anybody? Okay, good. So what I'm about to do won't seem ridiculous. Well, it might still be ridiculous, but anyways. You know, one of my favorite movies, and there's a, there's a, um, there's a line in that movie that I love, and that is, you know, Forrest, uh, he's a you know, pretty uneducated guy, a little slower than most, but he has an incredible life story. And all throughout the movie, he has been in love with his childhood friend named Jenny. And Jenny has sort of gone off and lived this life of, of sin and, and everything. And, and he's constantly trying to get her, in his words, to be his girl. And so, you know, Jenny, you know, she likes Forrest, but she keeps rejecting him. And at one point, Forrest tells Jenny that he loves her. And Jenny says, Forrest, you don't even know what love is. And I love Forrest's response. He says, I may not be a smart man, but I do know what love is. Right? Sorry, that's a terrible impression. But he says, I don't know much. I'm not that smart, but I do know what love is. It's exactly what the blind man is saying. I don't know much. You probably know a lot more about the scripture than I do. You probably know a lot more about God than I do. But this I do know. I was blind from birth. Now I see. The only difference in my life is this. Listen, is that I met Jesus. That is our testimony. You may not have every theological answer. But this you should know as a believer. I went from an eternal sinner, damned to hell, to somebody who is 
an adopted child of God and a citizen of heaven. The only difference is my, in my life is that I met Jesus. He changed me by grace through faith. Some of you might have incredible testimonies. God may have saved you from incredible life of sin. For me, I, I grew up in a pastor's home, got saved at six or seven. I, I tell people I got saved out of a life of crime in the sandbox. Okay, I don't have this elaborate, incredible testimony. But you know what? When God takes a dirty sinner like you and I, changes our heart, changes our mind, gives us a new disposition, gives us a new path, gives us a new home in heaven for all of eternity, that is powerful. No matter what your testimony is, that is powerful, and you are commanded to share it. Don't ever underestimate the power of a changed life. God will use it in incredible ways. He used it to shut the mouth of the Pharisees from an, from an uneducated man who knew just about nothing. He will use you. Just be faithful. Share your story. Share it over again. Don't apologize for it and let God be God and use it in people's lives to bring people to himself. It is powerful. So the man continues to testify of Jesus throughout this interrogation. And though I don't have time to, you know, to dig in and talk about this much, he gives this flawless argument about how Jesus has to be God. He has to be the Christ. Sinners don't go around with the power to heal people. Anyone who worships God is from God. He makes this wonderful argument for Christ. He is worthy to be followed. It's a great argument that stuns the Pharisees, and I want you to see this. This man is not even a believer yet. But at every level of his understanding, he testifies about the truth of Christ. As much as he knows, I want to encourage you, as a believer, someone who knows far more than this man does at this point, share what you know at every level of your understanding in your walk with Christ. Share it with others. Be willing to testify about Christ at every level of your spiritual walk. Whether you were saved 50 years ago or you were saved yesterday, you have a story to tell. You have a gospel to share. And no matter what your level of understanding, you be faithful, God might use you in incredible ways. If you've met Jesus, will you be faithful to testify about him to others? Then lastly, some will humbly be drawn by a saving grace, and when they are, very simply, they will be saved. They will be saved. Though Jesus had been drawing the man to himself, I don't believe it's till this point in verse 35 that he trusts Christ, beginning in verse 35. You know, he's thrown out of the, of the gathering, and though the Pharisees throw him out, Jesus seeks him out. And Jesus goes up and seats out the man, and he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He is asking the man this, Do you believe that God will send a Savior? And when he comes, will you believe? This is divine initiative here. And the, and the man's response shows a heart that has been divinely prepared by God. He went from somebody who knows nothing to a man about to receive Christ. And he says this, Who is he, Lord? Here he's using the word Lord to mean sir. 
He doesn't really understand that who he's talking to is the Messiah. He says, who is he, sir, that I might believe? Jesus says, you have uh, both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. The man now comes to see Jesus for who he truly is. And in verse 38, he says, Lord, but again, here it's not sir, it's master. I believe. And he did the only thing that somebody who truly has been changed by Christ can do. It's the only reaction we can have, and that is he worshiped him. If you've truly been changed by Christ, your life should be a day-by-day worship offering before God. It's the only appropriate response from going from eternal spiritual blindness to eternal spiritual sight. It's the only appropriate response from going from an enemy of God to a child of God. If that has happened in your life, your life should not be a Sunday of worship. It should be a life of worship before God, a life of obedience. It is the only response we should have as a changed child of God. What an incredible story of salvation. This man goes from knowing nothing and being spiritually blind, spiritually blind and physically blind, to spiritually alive and physically and physical sight, all because Jesus called him to himself and healed him both physically and spiritually. You know, this morning, it's important to understand that the light of Christ has not been put out. Just because Jesus is not here physically, the light of Jesus still shines. It shines through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it shines in us as believers And so that means that we have a necessary response. How will you respond to the light of Christ because it still shines? Will you repent and believe if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you surrender your heart to him if you do know Christ as Savior? Will you follow him day by day? Will you live an authentic life of obedience before him, which is the only appropriate response to somebody who has been changed? What will it be? Will you let your light so shine before men, before people, that the world sees your light and they glorify God because of your testimony? Will you do that? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your salvation. Lord, I pray that you would lead people to yourself. And for those that are already yours, Lord, I pray that you would guide, direct, that you would convict us of sin, and that you would lead us in the path of righteousness for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.